0: The fabulous 413 podcast is funded by Northeast Solar, helping customers make the switch to solar for savings, energy security, and tax incentives. Learn more at northeast-solar.com. Welcome to The Fabulous 413, I'm Khalees Smith. And I'm Monty Belmonte. Later in the show, live music Wednesday with the Yiddish music group playing the Jewish community center of Amherst this evening, Leviosin.
1: Hey look, you get an extra. And Greenfield word nerd, Emily Brewster, resident wordster from Merriam-Webster Dictionary in Springfield, answering one of your questions about the origins of aphorisms.
0: But first, the Karuna Center for Peacebuilding is an international peacebuilding organization based in Amherst for over 25 years. The Karuna Center has worked in 30 countries on things like transformative dialogue, trauma healing, and reconciliation.
1: Karuna is now bringing their experience to fo- focus on the polarization at home through a violence prevention program with schools here in the area. The Brave Schools program works in partnership with middle and high schools throughout Western Massachusetts to proactively engage
0: students and staff in preventing violence and strengthening resilience. And here to talk about Karuna Center's Brave Schools public event happening this Sunday in Amherst is Polly Byers, Executive Director of the Karuna Center. Welcome.
2: Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here with you guys.
0: Let's get something clear first off. You are not a yoga center.
2: Correct. Yes. (laughs) Correct. There there
0: is a Karuna Yoga Center. It is in Northampton. It is also Northampton, just
2: to make it more confusing. And some people do get confused, but we are not them. We like them. We like them. I'm sure they
0: employ a lot of practices that bring peace building to oneself. Correct. I'm sure they do. For 25 years, though, the Karuna Center uh, for Peace Building has been in Amherst. Tell us about its origins and its mission.
2: Sure. With pleasure. So it started in about 1994. And Paula Green, who many people do know around here because she was quite a figure, sadly died last year, but she founded it. And she was a psychologist, she was an activist, um, and an educator. And she started working really, she developed, Karuna kind of emerged organically post-genocide in Bosnia, when she started sort of gathering groups of women actually on one side of the divide, and then Bringing people together across the divide. Again, this is post genocide. And she really was a pioneer in the use of dialogue in peace building. In fact, a pioneer in the field of peace building because it's developed a lot over the last 25 years. There was a lot peace building sort of or peace negotiations at sort of the top national level, but really working at the community people to people level is something that she really developed. Um, and,
0: and I was lucky to get to know her a little bit um, and more recently uh, was trying to create dialogue between Trump supporters in the coal mining districts Kentucky. of Kentucky Correct. and people from western Massachusetts. Can you talk a little bit? Was that under the umbrella of Karuna? It I
2: technically wasn't, uh-huh. but, it, you know, she was closely, you know, continued working with us. But it was her own thing called Hands Across the Hills. Mm. And it was a phenomenal, it got a lot of press and coverage because she really had this idea at that moment after Trump was elected, like, what can we do? What can we do? There's this divide here. Like, we don't know those people. So she used, I mean, like we are in this in this project we'll talk about in a minute, kind of used the experience, years of of training internationally, just brought that exact process basically here and brought People initially, they they went back and forth. People from Kentucky came here to Leverett and the people in Leverett then went to Kentucky and really got to know each other and build trust, et cetera. So that was, you know, the, a lot. I think a lot of people have, have tried to replicate that um, in different dimensions here in the U.S.
1: Weirdly, almost like a host family program.
2: Correct. They And they lived, they stayed in each other's houses. The yeah. idea was to really get to know each other as people.
1: What better way to do it? Yeah. It seems like that, core principle is a lot of, uh, clearly it's at the root of the BRAVE program, but have you seen in your talking about your practices evolving, the BRAVE schools program seems in no small part to have erupted from the large amounts of school violence that we have seen,
0: including mass shootings, Including one last night. There's one almost every oh, day, it feels like. Oh, my
2: goodness. Yes. Can we just not? Can yeah. we not? <laughs> I, it, it's, it is. It's almost incredible. You can't keep track of them. You cannot keep track of them. Yeah. So that is we it you know, when we thought I I took over uh, as executive director three years ago. Right. You know, kind of pivotal period. Lots happening in this country. Like we need just feeling like Karuna has done this amazing work for over 20 You know, plus years. We need to be doing more work here. That we've done little programs in the past. There was a work on climate justice that um, Olivia Dreyer, the previous director, is still engaged in, but we hadn't done anything substantial. So we kind of looked around because we felt like we should really be local, local, like Western Massachusetts. And really, the issue in the schools kind of jumps out at you. They are, I mean, I've just and I've learned a lot in the past year or so as this program is developed. Just the challenges they are facing. I mean, they are all. Understaffed, overtaxed, and you know the the issues with mental health issues coming out. You know, post COVID has had a a big impact, obviously. So we just felt like there is a lot that we could try to do to bring the experience, particularly on the sort of violent extremism. This 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 program, Brave Schools, as you mentioned before, I think you know stands for building resilience against violent extremism in schools. And you know, while some schools felt like, well, we don't have violent extremism, we have violence, but in fact, as you know, if you're following news around here, there's 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 quite a lot of issues. Um, I mean, the Anti-Defamation League just came out with a report called Hate in the Bay States is brand new. Extreme rise in anti-Semitic incidents here in the past year of extremist propaganda, white supremacists and like quite an increase in Massachusetts. And we have been seeing that in schools in the area. So the idea is really, in, uh, the, you know, the basic concept is to help a whole of school approach to work with both the staff, with kind of teams of people, not just one, because people come and people go, mm-hmm. a group of people, you know, both administrators, you know, SEL, curriculum to people, guidance counselors, as well as engaging students. So, because it really has to, you know, they have to be involved in the process. So that's kind of the idea um, behind the program.
0: We're speaking with Polly Byers, the executive director of the Karuna Center for Peacebuilding based in Amherst, who this Sunday is going to be hosting an event, Bringing the Lessons Home, The Power of Dialogue Locally and Globally. It's three o'clock on Sunday afternoon at the Amherst Women's Club. And you have uh, some interesting folks that are going to be a part of it, including the assistant principal at Amherst Regional High School, Sam Camera, who is not a photographer for the Daily Bugle, <laughs> but actually an assistant principal. And, and Seth uh, Karamage, tell us about Seth and why he is going to be part of this event and some of the work that he's done in the past yeah. that he'll be bringing to Western Mass.
2: Correct, because the, t- the full title of this event is Bringing the Lessons Home the power of dialogue locally and globally. So we thought what better than to talk about some of the work that we have done internationally. And Seth is Rwandan. He was involved in a very successful kind of amazing program in Rwanda where we when when post post genocide by 20 years when people were coming out of prison and going back to their little villages was helping reintegrate them. And you can imagine what sort of hence, you know, trauma recovery and reintegration work. He was involved in that program. And he's also been the lead dialogue coach in this program in Nigeria. There's our current major international program. We're in the fifth year of it. It's technically it's working with the farmer herder conflict in Nigeria, Mm -hmm. which is a huge issue. And it's basically it's considered an early warning, early response program. But it's basically training in small com- communities, local community dialogue facilitators to basically try to preempt and mediate when there's an issue comes up, you know, it comes to them to try to basically convene and try to diffuse whatever the issue is. So Seth is going to talk about both of those programs, both Rwanda and Nigeria, kind of the lessons I've learned. And, you know, one of the hallmarks of of Karuna's approach to dialogue is that it's very context-specific. It's not like this is what we do. We're, you know, it is very, very context-driven by the context. It's, you know, it's, well, it's, I can imagine
0: person-committed genocide against my people coming back to the village versus, you know, some violence issues in Amherst public schools are vastly different. But there are lessons there that will transfer?
2: Yeah. There, what, or or like? transcend. Like, yeah. yeah, or transcend. I mean, there really are the approach— Because fundamentally, whether you're working in the Amherst public schools or you're working internationally, you know, you are basically trying to build trust between, you know, different groups of people, right? I mean, in this issue and within the brave schools, you know, dialogue is one piece of it, Mm -hmm. uh, really with, with students. And what we always say or Karuna says about dialogue is that it's part of a bigger fabric. You know, it's not like, Oh, we do dialogue. that's the end of it because it's not at all. I mean, right. a lot internationally, there's often a dialogue process and then joint activities or collaboration so that you're actually you know working together and and sustaining whatever you know in whatever progress actually, like comes.
1: change and improve the communities that need to be built
2: there or rebuilt there. yeah, yeah and and so there's so you know in this brave schools, the dialogue piece is with is, is is engaging students and how they can be more engaged part of it is also just building you know it's not dialogue but building the capacity of this, these staff members, these teams, where we have actually two former extremists who are doing that training, who have who have rather powerful stories themselves, who are now become experts in what's called deradicalization. I mean, that's what they do: is train and try to help help individuals get out of extremist movements, which is a process in itself. So it's so it's kind of a you know this this Brave Schools program is a sort of multi-pronged pronged you know, program to try to get at both, both from the student angle of getting them more engaged and also building up the capacity and, de- and developing systems within these schools that are going to be sustainable over time.
0: We're speaking with Polly Byers, the executive director of the Karuna Center in Amherst, who is hosting Bringing the Lessons Home, The Power of Dialogue Locally and Globally, this Sunday at the Amherst Women's Club. And as we mentioned, you're going to have Seth Karamage, who is going to uh, – a dialogue expert who's been doing this in Rwanda and Nigeria, as well as the assistant principal, Sam Camera at Amherst Regional. Who is this aimed towards? Do you want educators to be there? Do you want school leadership from other schools to be there? Because it, it is school-focused. It's not necessarily Amherst school-focused. Who do you think will benefit from coming to this? And what, in planning this, are some of the issues – that you've been hearing that have been coming from our Western mass schools. As you mentioned, we're not hearing a ton about violent extremism, mercifully. No, but we are hearing about disgruntledness in Amherst regional schools. And anti-LGBTQ
1: and rhetoric. Anti- rhetoric. In that, in
2: that fashion. Yeah. 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 Anti-Semitic major issues in Belchertown. So to your question, Monty... We want everybody to come because of that was going to be my answer. <laughs> well, like every, who this best suited every, everyone, everyone can learn
1: to have but better everybody dialogue.
2: Everybody can learn. I mean, that is the point, I, exactly. I mean, yes, for sure, the schools we've invite, we've encouraged all the schools that are participating in the program, as well as some who aren't. I mean, some for whatever reason, well, clear reasons they didn't have the bandwidth to be able to devote the time to it because they are completely, you know, that finding time. For schools is as you can imagine, like a practically impossible task. So, particularly for the educator community, but you know, people in general in their lives, in their relationships, uh, you know, there are a lot of there are a lot of issues that are causing a lot of uh, tension and conflict. And I think just learning a little bit more about dialogue and and you know, hence the power. I mean, it really is a powerful tool if if done well and used effectively. Which does take work. I mean, it's not like everybody's talking about dialogue here, dialogue there, and people mean different things. The mm-hmm. way we're talking about it, it really is. It's part of a larger process, as I said before, and it and it takes quite a bit of work. But I think it's something that hopefully will be of interest to a wide audience. And if and there's you know there's resources and things like the Quabbin Mediation Center that does various trainings that I'm going to point people to if they're interested in in learning more and getting more involved.
0: What are some of the other schools that are involved in this? You mentioned you were hoping to encourage some of the other schools, but specifically what schools are signed on to this brave program? Signed
2: on. We have Amherst Middle and High School. We have Frontier. We have Agawam Middle and High School. Um, We have Mohawk and we have Pioneer up in, you know, near Northfield. And I think I've – and the Common School, which is a very small school in Amherst. They're they're a smaller school. Uh, And younger age demographic. It's interesting. We were first thinking high schools, high schools. But then the more we talk to schools and school officials, it's like middle school, middle school. It starts like there's a lot of stuff and issues. I mean the Belcher Town incident's – middle school. So those the anti-Semitic are, incidents you're the started Semitic in incidents. middle school. Yeah, I mean, uh-huh. yeah. Puberty yeah.
1: is hard. Yeah, Puberty really is hard. And then you have <laughs> these
2: kids who've been out of school. So these, you know, the social, emotional learning, I mean, things are behind. Um, so it's, it, it I mean, the mental health issues are pretty significant. And I think middle school is a particularly, I mean, high school too, but a particularly challenging time. So those are the schools that are signed up and involved right now. And we're, you know, we, we did reach out to a, a larger number and we're hoping, you know, in a, in a future iteration to do more. We're also, the other thing I would mention that a lot of schools are quite interested in and where we've, you know, sort of joined forces with Amherst College has a center, center for restorative practices mm-hmm. and this is something that a lot of schools, I was surprised how far along, they're all, they're very interested in restorative practices for good reasons. So that's something that we're kind of helping them sort of build capacity in that and, and you know, sort of support among themselves in that. So I feel like it's only right if they're going to keep that name. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Meaning Amherst. <amorous. laughs> Polly Byers, the executive director of
0: Karuna Center. You've been with Karuna Center for a few years. And before we let you go and remind everybody that your event is this Sunday at three o'clock at the Amherst Women's Club, the power of dialogue locally and globally. Is there a story that you can think of of that power of dialogue where it has been effective either with the work that you've done? Locally or globally, I'm one of those. I call myself a Pollyanna who wants to sit down with my greatest enemies across a table and believe that I can I know, awaken I, the Anakin Skywalker. I feel like Skywalker. a lot of this applies to you in general. I know, in the in their Darth Vader shell. But is there something that you personally experienced that you feel like has been uh, ch- transformative for you as the director of this peace building organization, Karuna?
2: Well, I feel like I haven't since I because of you know, the, the the travel restrictions. I haven't done a lot of traveling, but mm-hmm. I will say I did get to Nigeria last summer. And I have to say, I mean, there's a lot of examples I, I could point to of what, what I think Karuna is, the impact of Karuna's programs, but going to see what has been accomplished with this program in Nigeria with farmer herders. I mean, there's there's a lot of people working on the issue, but we brought all where the government is very support, their Institute of you know Peace and Conflict of Resolution are very involved and supportive, and we've it just it's really had quite an impact at a local level. And there was even you know there's a just there's a lot of different threats there, and there was some there was a killing recently, and because of this the bonds and connections developed in this program, they were you know able to stop a much bigger conflict erupting. I mean it's just really having a, a, a pretty amazing impact on the ground.
0: It's inspirational work, and it emanates in no small part. Out Community of, equivalents of antibodies. Yeah. <laughs> out of Amherst, Massachusetts, at the Karuner Center for Peacebuilding, Polly Byers is their executive director. This Sunday, 3 o'clock, at the Amherst Women's Club, bringing the lessons home, the power of dialogue locally and globally. Thank you so much, Polly.
2: Thank you both. It's been a pleasure, and I hope any and all of you listening will be able to come this Sunday. (laughs) Later in the show,
0: live music Wednesday with the Yiddish music group playing the Jewish community of Amherst this evening, Leviosin. And up next, Greenfield's word nerd, Emily Brewster, resident wordster from Merriam-Webster in Dictionary in Springfield, answering one of your questions about the origins of aphorisms. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM. time for another Word Nerd segment with Emily Brewster, resident Wordster from Merriam-Webster, where we always welcome your questions to our fair dictionary in Springfield, Massachusetts. Yes, please. Send
1: them to thefab413 at nepm.org.
0: Or text 1-800-639-9120. Christine Mirabal sent an email to us saying, Hello, Fab413ers. I really enjoyed the segment the other day with Emily Brewster about the origins of the zany language we call English. (laughs) If it hasn't been done already, could she do a segment about how certain English sayings came about, like the bee's knees or proverbs like people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. Thanks a bunch, Chris.
1: And I'm going to add an amendment to this, that like for some of them, it would be also interesting for us to learn the full phrase. Some of them have definitely been shortened where the tail end of the original phrase makes the whole thing make a lot more sense and kind of brings it back to its original meaning.
0: So what do you make of uh, Christine's email, Emily Brewster?
3: it's a great question and it has no single simple answer uh-huh. right it actually requires a million answers there's so many different ways that these phrases can come about for example the proverb people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones" comes so from a billy joel you...
0: album cover right <laughs> you
3: Yeah, know, that's a good album i really i yes not a yes. fan
0: not a fan of that album. Oh, Billy Joel in general seems like a nice yeah. guy. Yeah, oh, yeah, does he? Yeah. Because can't get into I mean, his music.
1: Does he seem like a nice guy? I watch.
0: Anytime I watch like a storyteller's thing, I feel the same way about James Taylor. Where I'm like, I don't really like your music that much. But then I, when I watch you like in an interview or something, I'm like, ah, uh, you seem like a nice enough person. Anyway, back to the origins of the phrase: <laughs> People in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. Billy Joel. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. No, this this so predates that Long Islander uh-huh. who did the We didn't start the start the fire. He didn't. Start Start the fire. So I've heard. It was burning, the All
4: right.
3: The proverb, people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones, is an interesting example of a phrase because, like any good proverb, its meaning is really transparent, right? Like, if you live in a glass intended. house, you should not be in the habit of throwing stones because if somebody does it back to you, your house is going to shatter, et cetera, yes. et cetera. This proverb has been part of English since the uh, 1380s because it's from a Chaucer poem called Troilus and Cressida. oh Oh, yeah so that one's been around for a really long time did people live in glass houses
0: in the the Chaucer age because I mean unless you have a greenhouse, I can't really think of people how would they even get enough glass to do it how would you get changed without everyone watching or you know do other things
3: just because glass was new or rare doesn't mean they didn't have draperies oh yeah that's true but you're still vulnerable to uh, stones Mm. Stones. yeah actually I have no idea how uh, I would assume that in the time of Chaucer glass houses were were not common but certainly you know all a proverb or a phrase needs to do is to evoke the right image. It doesn't actually need to be something that is out and about commonly encountered or anything.
4: Mm-hmm. Now,
3: bees knees. So, you know, the proverb like people in glass houses, that makes perfect sense. You can think through why that carries the meaning it does. But then we look at a at a phrase like bees knees. That's the bees knees. A, right. the bees, something that is the bees knees is a, you know something that's highly admired, something that's really prized. But bees who in theory have like six knees, right? <laughs> they have a joint, right? Between the like uh, the equivalent of the femur and the tibia, right? And you know, they must be wonderful bees having six knees. I think bees are remarkable and everything, but why why does that mean something so great cuz they're really really small. A bee's knees are maybe fascinating, but not not something that we immediately think of even when we think of bees in particular. The first thing that that phrase actually evoked was something being small or insignificant
4: Uh so
3: in like the 1830s uh there's a quote from a a book called the great metropolis take a slice there's a good fellow well if i do said ned let it be only the bigness of a bee's knee Uh So it's really unclear how bee's knees went from referring to something that was very small, which makes good sense, to something that was excellent. I think there's a, you know, the, the rhymingness of it and the whole magnificence of maybe the detail of something that could be so functional and so tiny is, is maybe it. But a lot of times we don't know why these phrases come to have the function that they do. They just do. And we all just roll with it.
0: It's fun that both of the ones that Christine submitted as questions come from literature, though. So that's probably a great jumping-off point for all sorts of these phrases that we use. And I bet you, know, it's transformed over the years into other forms of media. Like there's always quotable movie quotes that people we are all the time, you know, quoting oh, the time.
5: Keep your friends close, but your enemies closer.
6: You're gonna need a bigger
0: boat. Go ahead,
6: make my day. Wax on. Well, we're going, we don't need roads. There's no crying in baseball! Keep the change, you filthy animal.
3: I think it's also interesting, um, there are uh, other sources that we think of less often. When I was thinking about this question, I thought about the term slush fund, right? Mm -hmm. This is like a, a political term. It's, you know, an unregulated source of money that's sometimes used for illicit purposes or for <laughs> unclear purposes you know like
0: arpa it, money
1: that's that not actually to be, comes that's not what that's supposed to be used for
0: yeah but there's all sorts of things that are uh, popping up now about maybe that is what it's being used for
3: the slush and slush fund is really gross oh do tell all right this is a nautical term slush Is the grease that is rendered from salted meat that was, was, you know, like the meat that was cooked on board a ship, Mm -hmm. and the slush was once commonly skimmed and put into barrels that you would then sell when you got to port. The money received from those sales was then put into a slush fund, and you could use it to purchase like luxuries for the crew of the ship that they otherwise, you know, wouldn't have access to.
0: That makes me so, like slush funds more. Because right, it's made right. Of you're, bu- you're
3: buying like, rum for sailors, it's right? It's made I guess. of salty like, fat and it's or,
0: to buy rum for sailors, yes. I mean, or or, or maybe toothbrushes,
3: larger. right? Like what luxuries right. did they not have? It might, Maybe it was some like oranges or something, right? They're yeah. low on vitamin C or Sometimes whatever. Sometimes
0: a hand or a leg. You might need a, <laughs> a hook or a peg.
3: So in the late 19th century, the term slush fund came to be, be used to refer to money that was appropriated and set aside for political ends. So uh, slush funds could sometimes be used to supplement the salaries of government employees or, say, to bribe public officials. There we are now with the word slush fund. But it originally was Greece. Well,
0: it's interesting (laughs) because there's also there's pork barrel politics and calling, you know, excessive money that's being spent poorly by the government. You call it pork. Or pork e- sp- barrel is- spending, so there's this meaty, sludgy, salty, gross connection to all of these things.
1: Salami yeah. for money. Yeah, <laughs> the treasury shri- yeah, yeah. shri- shri- of e- economics. We're learning,
0: <laughs> we're learning how the sausage gets made, and oh, it turns no. out you have to have a slush fund after it's been made.
3: Yeah, I've I've got another one that's also kind of gross.
0: Love it. Yeah. Should we just stick with this gross yeah. theme? We should stick all yeah. over gross it. Gross phrases, just nice and <laughs> okay. sticky like yeah. slush. Accident, uh, and, gross ma- and maybe there
3: should be a warning at the beginning of this episode, like if you're if you're a vegetarian or if you're just squeamish about these sorts of things right. these are you know these ugly meaty metaphors in english are are kind of gross because humble pie has really nothing to do with humility
0: what does it have to do with Is it like that television show Yellow Jackets that does, Enzo does it, and I have been watching? I was
1: going to say, is it like a Sweeney Todd sort of thing? Right? These are
4: probably the worst pies in London.
3: N- not so bad as that. <laughs> 13th century, you are n- noble. You go to hunt. You hunt a deer on your estate and you bring along people with you and you, like, you, you know, you, you've got people who help you butcher the animal after you have killed it. I love that this is in so, the
0: second person. It feels like a choose your own adventure your novel all of a sudden (laughs) keep going
3: well if you are the noble person who has you know is ostensibly paying these people to come with you you have them butcher the deer and you get the good cuts and they get the the people who have done the butchering and all that work for you get to eat the other stuff so the you know the gamekeeper the huntsman the servants you get the nice steaks and they get mm, like the head and stuff and also the viscera use the Latin word for the stuff that I don't really want to say out loud, the edible viscera. Okay, we're talking like, you know, organs. Okay. So in Norman French, those viscera were referred to as nombles, N-O-M-B-L-E-S. And, uh, you know, originally come traces back to a Latin word meaning loin. By the 15th century, that Norman word was being pronounced without the N. So it's kind of like umbles, And then it eventually became humble
0: umbles umble, umbles
3: pie umble. right and then you know um it became umble like you would have deer umbles for example mm-hmm. like deer umbles i'm going to make a pie of deer umbles and these things are, are you know frequently cooked in in a in a pie i guess Back then, it's the so easiest way to this cover humble pie, anything, this,
0: yeah. yeah, put it in a pie. Put it in
3: a pie. Put it in a pie. So that's what we have, humble pie. So humble pie is not really about humility, but maybe somehow somebody who is being forced then to to um, accept some sad fact. Is said to be eating humble
0: pie but it still kind of makes sense because it is not the choice cuts of the hunt it is the more humble parts of the hunt in most people's estimation although they may call it awful sometimes in french when you're eating the viscera but i think it's awfully good
1: sometimes. yeah i
0: am not knocking it i do
1: like some awful but like steak and kidney is not my thing And that seems like it would be an humble pie or a part of humble pie. The steak part, maybe not. Yeah. Maybe just
0: kidneys. I had rabbit offal from a a French restaurant that used to exist in Northampton, and it was really good.
1: It can be great. Sometimes it's Yeah, there's
3: actually an early gloss of the phrase. There's a vocabulary book of East Anglia in the early early 1800s, and it defines the phrase to make one eat humble pie as to make him lower his tone and be submissive. That's how it was defined back then. It was interesting.
0: I'm going to make some humble pie with my slush fund because it'll give that little bit of extra savory (laughs) flavor to it. Make the uh, crust with the slush. I'll throw in some bee's knees into it for a little bit of an extra flavor.
1: This sounds like bachelor,
0: like college cooking. Yeah. (laughs) Mine was worse than that, I think. (laughs) I didn't know how to make ramen, dried ramen, when I went to college. Are you joking? I'm not joking.
1: Do you notice when tracking these things, when parts of phrases are are starting to be left off or when their meanings start to shift?
3: Well, they shift at any point, right? right? I mean, we're, we're, you think about how slang changes and mm-hmm. how words will kind of like lose their pointedness. That's very common in particular terms. And it's also very common in phrases. They become more broadly applied.
1: My brain keeps going back to, like, I really wonder when the master of one part fell mm-hmm. off of the jack of all trades phrase.
0: Yeah, we've talked about this off the air, Khalees and I, because I it seems like a, an insult to say jack of all trades, but master of none.
1: But the full phrase is jack of all trades, master of none, and yet still better than master of one. Like,
3: oh, wow, I did not know that.
1: Yeah, it's another one of those things where, like, it started off being a compliment and it made the shift to the other end, much like Beesney's, just by leaving off the second part of the phrase. Yeah, <laughs>
3: yeah. another okay. one that comes to my mind is, um, you know, the, the phrase, love conquers all, right? Mm. We just, we hear that phrase, but the, the longer phrase is, love conquers all, let us too give in to love, uh. which I feel like is damn, that's amazing. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Le- like welcoming that conquering. I love that. I think yeah. that's, I think that's really beautiful. So if you think of others, I will look into them. These very specific terms kind of, uh, they just kind of ooze out to have broader applicability. Mm-hmm. And the same thing happens
0: with they phrases. They ooze out like, oh my goodness, we're just going to go back to <laughs> like slush. slush. I don't like slash the weather either, by the way. I mean, it's It's the grossest of weather. Nobody wants that. No, it's not fun for anyone. But I hope this was fun for Christine Mirabal, Mm -hmm. who sent us an email asking about this particular question from our word nerd, Emily Brewster. And if you have a linguistic conundrum or a query or a hang up that particularly irritates you, I can't wait to hear the word nerd uh, disabuse you of that notion. Uh, Because you're probably wrong. but it's uh, And that's the number one thing I've learned from talking to our dictionary editor all these years. But you can uh, send us your queries at thefab413 at nepm.org or text them 1-800-639-9120. Or even better, record a voice memo of yourself. Even have a fight with somebody about language and email us the voice memo. And we'll play it on on the air here. Thank you, Emily Brusta.
3: Oh, you're so welcome.
1: Thank
0: you. I will be in the, the town of your namesake all next week, so you get Khalees all to yourself.
1: All by myself. Ooh. <laughs> Coming up, live music Wednesday with the Yiddish music group playing the Jewish community of Amherst this evening. Lev Yosin.
0: You're listening to the Fabulous Four One Three on NEPM.
1: Welcome back to the Fabulous Four One Three. Leviosin is Ashkenazi Hebrew for Leviathan, the mythical sea creature traveling the world's ocean.
0: But this Leviosin is traveling the world collecting songs, krill, and dreams. (laughs)
1: The Boston-based
0: trio Leviosin, specializes in Yiddish song
1: and klezmer, but they also sing in Hebrew, Ladino, and English and draw upon adjacent Eastern European folk traditions. And
0: joining us today from Leviosin, who are playing the Jewish community of Amherst this evening... Are Ada Hetko on voice and guitar, Kaya Berman Peters playing accordion, Lysander Jaffe singing with the violin, and who I he- hear tell is in the group Columba with, uh, is that true? Yeah. Our, fr- our friend Carrie Larson from uh, Culture, Culture to do. do here at NEPM is a fan, and Rafi Bowden, who is uh, Bowen the cello. Bowden that cello. Really? Yeah, that wasn't even my joke. That was the joke they sent to me. I'm usually responsible <laughs> for the bad jokes. We'll be playing at the Jewish community of Amherst this Gave evening. him a chance
1: to double down.
0: I know, and I thank you for that chance. Uh, before we start uh, chatting with you a little bit, let's hear, let's hear a song from Leviosa. Live music Wednesday in the fabulous 413. <laughs>
7: Green Eschatten
0: That is live music, this live music Wednesday in the Fabulous 413 from Levi Leviosin, who are playing the Jewish community of Amherst this evening.
1: <laughs> no, you, I have to figure out how this question is actually going to work. So you, you
0: okay? Go. <laughs> so, um, Ada, you took the, uh, the, the lyrics on that particular one. And was it in, in Yiddish?
8: It was in Yiddish. And yes. for those who aren't
0: fluent in Yiddish, what was the general uh, consensus of what that song was about?
8: This song is, a, the lyrics of this song are a beautiful poem by Zalman Schnorr, who wrote it in uh, Vilnius in 1909 when he was 19 years old. And it's a come to this beautiful forest with me uh, song. <laughs> and <laughs> I love the beautiful forest part the best. Uh-huh. So we actually selected the lyrics that we liked the best from this song, which are describing velvet, skies and silken grass and a a laughing river. Really so pitching this date hard. Yeah, yes. I love <laughs> yes. that. So you took the
0: poem and set it to your own music? Is that how it worked? Or was it an existing well, song?
8: It was an existing song. The melody was written by um Samuel Bugach, but it only exists in two field recordings of very elderly people singing this song, and they sing it differently. Ah. So we didn't have any sheet music, we didn't have any authoritative version, so we recreated the melody and created our own arrangement, and Lysander did um, some insertion of Hungarian fiddle style into that. I love that. Very cool. Like, wildly differently? Different versions in the recordings of this particular song? Um, The arc of the melody was similar, but individual lines were sung differently. So yeah, pretty different.
0: Are now, are all of you fluent in Yiddish? Is this something that you've learned for this musical tradition? Is it a language that you use on a regular basis? Like maybe show of hands, how many Yiddish is a language? Yeah, hands you use for regularly. the radio. Yeah, I'll I'm, count them.
8: But... I'm the hardcore Yiddishist in the okay. group. Okay, <laughs> and that's and... a duh who
0: did the singing in Yiddish, right? Then, yeah.
8: Yeah, and everybody else is a budding Yiddishist. Exactly. So, I love that. That's yeah. oh, a very
0: positive
6: way to <laughs> <laughs> budding Yiddishist. I think all all
5: four of us grew up with some form of Yiddish culture in our lives. For me, my grandma spoke a lot of Yiddish and then came more to it now through this musical tradition.
0: And that's Kaya Berman-Peters who's playing the accordion and singing for Leviosin. You wanna do another song?
8: Sure. Yeah.
0: Playing tonight, Jewish Community Center of Amherst.
8: And tonight we'll be joined by our friends in Burikis, which is another, another Massachusetts klezmer band. They're actually based in Northampton. Oh. Yeah, so that's, yeah. So I that's gonna be. I don't be. know them. I've gotta to get to know them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be a big party. It's gonna be great.
7: Nice. In Dresden is finster. In Dresden is finster, es ist spät bei Nacht. Men hat kein Zoom, kein Schock. Kein Feigele fliehen auf der Gas. Men hätt kein Schum, kein Schorch. Kein Feigele fliehen auf der Gas. Ah, wo bist du gewann? Ich will mir dir zwei Wetter reen. Wo bist du gewenn? Ich Will mit dir zusammen sein. Tokuma, reist du komereist zu mir, mein Teil.
0: It is Live Music Wednesday with Leviosin, who are playing the Jewish community of Amherst tonight, celebrating Leviosin's Lullaby, the debut album of this Boston-based klezmer and Yiddish music quartet. And we'll hear more from them coming up after a break. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPN. Welcome back to the Fabulous 413. We're joined live in studio by Levi Osen, who are playing at the Jewish Community Center of Amherst this evening. Ada Hetko, Kaya Berman Peters, Lysanda Jaffe, and Rafi Bowden. There's an R in his
1: name. Who's? Put it back there, you weird Bostonian. <laughs> Look, we're we're both from there. We're both from the east, originally from the eastern half. So, like, never make fun
0: of anything she says wrong. Because I
1: make fun of myself. I don't need someone else to make fun of me. Anyhow, this question because now he's wasting my time. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't start it. (laughs) Um, So you sing across Jewish traditions from various. locations, like Hebrew, Latino, and Eastern European, but in your very first song, it sounded like there were definitely Sephardic elements, too. Like, it sounded almost like Persian prayer. Was that accidental?
7: Yeah.
4: I <laughs> mean, <laughs> I love it. Yeah.
1: Are there, are there um, portions of it or, like, certain styles that you find yourself, like, liking more or or not? Do you just draw from all of them at the same time when you're working your your magic?
5: We draw a lot from co-territorial music, so um, music of Eastern Europe that's not necessarily made by Jews, but heavily influenced Jewish Mm -hmm. music. And then we also draw a lot from people we've learned from in our lives. So I draw a lot from my mentor, Basia Schechter, who's half Sephardic and draws a lot from that tradition herself.
1: I mean, in general, it makes sense because they all come from essentially the same area. But like it was just kind of really cool to hear you start in something that sounded very much like like Middle Eastern prayer and then launch into something that clearly sounded your Eastern European. Just I love those sorts of conjunctions, whether they happen intentionally or not.
8: Yeah. A lot of a lot of the
1: scales and modes are you can find like all across Eastern Europe and the Middle East. Oh, yeah,
8: exactly. And I was definitely drawing from um, Eastern European cantorial tradition. Which is, is totally, totally related to these yeah. different different modes. Yeah.
0: Well, let's hear another song. And if we run out of time in the show, we'll do the thing where we fade you down and we'll do the credits over what you're playing. I hope that doesn't, <laughs> you don't mind. All right. Sounds great. Playing tonight, the Jewish community of Amherst, Leviosin. Und
7: doch ist es <laughs> schön wie ein Nest. Und our rose we're too big, we're feeling our way, 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 we are feeling our way we are bei our way we are feeling our mit our Es zieht sich das Zweige der Zu dir und zu mir wie ein Ness Es zieht sich das Zweige der i she-
6: to me like a miracle.
0: That is Levi Osin, who is playing tonight at the Jewish community of Amherst tomorrow. Fab fashion with Richie Richardson.
1: We've got a double dose of Franklin County as we sit with the Greenfield Players gearing up to do Shakespeare in Energy Park and Franklin County Pride, which happens this weekend.
0: And we've got U.S. Congressman Jim McGovern joining us. Thanks for listening to The Fabulous 413. I'm Monty Belmonte. I'm Khalees Smith. We'll see you tomorrow.